You are now listening to Testimonies with Terry. Hey, what's up, everyone, and welcome to Testimonies with Terry. I'm your host, Terry Skaggs, and it's great to be back with another episode. Today, I'm going to be talking to someone who is just as passionate, if not more passionate, than I am when it comes to testimonies, and she's got an incredible testimony of her own. You'll hear the details of the abuse that she grew up around in Mexico, followed by even more abuse when her family moved to California, including being molested as a little girl. Growing up in a culture where emotions weren't talked about, you'll hear how all the pent-up frustrations and rage she had started coming out when she was a teenager, giving her a sense of power for once in her life. Eventually becoming an alcoholic and marrying an abusive man, you'll hear how giving birth to her daughter set the course for her to have an encounter with Jesus that forever changed her. She now helps people write books about their own testimonies with Project I Am, a passion project God has called her and equipped her to do. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Liz Pareda's testimony. All right, guys, I am very excited because on today's show, we have the host of From Broken to Breakthrough, an Amazon best-selling author, Dr. Liz Pareda. Liz, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it is my absolute honor. Thank you so much for, for inviting me so I can share my testimony. I know we're both passionate about testimonies, so praise God. I'm just super excited. Yeah. And that was really the uh, origin of how this all came to be. You and I uh, have a mutual connection in Julia Valdez. She was on my show uh, last season and she had shared a post that you had made on Facebook saying, Hey, I'm looking for people with testimonies who wants to share their testimony, who wants to write a book about their testimony. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit just come upon me and said, Hey, connect with her. And so I just clicked into your profile and I'm just like, man, she's as passionate about testimonies, if not more so than me, I got to connect with her. She's my kind of people. And so Amen. we connected over, uh, over messenger and and here we are. So this is uh this is cool. You know, people get to hear our first conversation. So I'm looking forward to this. Oh, me too. It's going to be good. Yes. Well, Liz, we always start off the show, uh, at the very beginning of your life. Where did you grow up? I grew up, well, I was born in Coatzacoalcos, Veracruz, Mexico. I'm not even going to make you say that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, because I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and at the age of six years old, I um, moved to the United States. You know, my parents moved first, and then they left us there for a couple months, and then they brought us um, here. And uh, we lived in East Los Angeles for about four years, and then moved to Whittier and have been there ever since. Okay. So you... Your parents went to America first and then you stayed behind a couple months. What was that like being separated from your parents for those few months? Well, to be honest with you, I think from, from the time I was born, my, um, my upbringing was kind of difficult because my father was an alcoholic and he was abusive to my mother. And so when they left, I, you know, I, 
I was, I, I mean, I got completely depressed. Even as a little girl, I got really sad. But um, I was thinking that maybe there was going to be a little bit more peace, if that makes sense. But it ended up being kind of worse because then my aunt started physically abusing us. So when I was there um, with, with her, we were there for a couple of months. And it just felt like it kept getting, you know, from bad to worse. So that's when we came back here and, it, you know, the seeing my dad be abusive to my mom again, you know, began. Wow. So from a young age, just exposure to abuse, how do you think that affected you, Liz? Oh, gosh, it just became normal. It really did become normal. And the thing is, um, I didn't just see abuse from my mother and from my father to my mother. I also saw it with the neighbors, you know, in, in where I was born. It's kind of like, like a wild, like a wild place. It's, it we literally live right next to the swamp and so a lot of people are like walking around with machetes it's it's a very small town in mexico and so i used to see fights with machetes and i used to see people like um you know with cuts on their heads and it was just very very gruesome it was not like the united states it was like little place in mexico um people fighting with machetes uh, alcoholism was very common, snakes everywhere, like alligators everywhere. I mean, for me to come to the United States, it was like total culture shock. Uh, so it was, it was interesting. <laughs> now that I look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I survive all that? Right. That's a lot. Yeah. What was the reason for the move to, uh, from Mexico to America? Did your parents just want to get you and the family out of that environment, create a better life? What was the reason for the move? So my parents were always entrepreneurs. Um, they were also musicians. Uh, they used to have a couple of restaurants in Veracruz, where I was born. And those uh, restaurants had to be closed down. They started, um, now I'm, I, find I, I find out that they were owing people money. So they were actually running away from that. Uh, and so when they came here, it was just because I think they owed some people some money and they were like, okay, business is not happening here. So we have to go to the United States to just start fresh and, and to get these children out of here because it was, it was bad where we were. It was, it was, um, it was a lot of poverty. There was a lot of, there was a lot of violence. So it was their way of just saving us and saving themselves from from the people that were pretty much after them. Yeah. What do you remember about making that move personally for yourself, Liz, from Mexico to, to California? You mentioned kind of the, the culture shock. What do you remember about your uh, initial months in America, in California? Well, now it's funny to look back, but it wasn't funny back then because I remember, um, you know, going from, from Mexico to the United States thinking in my head somehow like America is going to be all about Disneyland. You know, <laughs> I used to have a, a poster that had Disneyland. I was like, Oh, we're going to America. And so I come here and I'm like, okay, this doesn't look like, you know, what I thought it was going to look like. <laughs> um, but I did feel like it was a lot safer. And I remember, um, you know, you know, in school, I didn't speak a language. So when the kids would raise their hands, I would raise my hand too. And then if I got picked, the teacher would speak to me in English and I was like, ah. and so all the kids would laugh. So it was, it was kind of sad because I got made fun of. I got, um, I, I just, you know, I became, I think stuck of the, of the class because I didn't know the language. 
I even remember my first word was like octopus. I, I said that word from the time I was at the store to like the time I got home. That was my very first word. <laughs> but it was it was just so um it was like another world. To be in another country for me was like to be in another planet. And I felt like I just I didn't fit in. It's almost like I wanted to go back to 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 Mexico, even though it I knew that it was dangerous and I knew that it was toxic. I was more comfortable with that than, you know, the United States. That was not my home. So it was kind of a little culture shock and it was it was scary. It was sad. Now looking back, it was kind of funny because I can share about, you know, share these stories and it's like, you know, it's funny. But when you're going through it um, and you're a child and you don't, don't know the language and kids are laughing, that really does something to your self-esteem. So it just kind of deteriorated, deteriorated my self-esteem even more. Yeah. What were your parents like during this time for you, Liz? Were they comforting? Were they supportive? Were they a source of, of support for you? Or were their own issues, your dad's alcoholism, the abuse, did that get in the way of uh, them giving you what you needed emotionally? Yeah. So unfortunately, um, in the Hispanic culture, you really don't speak about how you feel. You just roll with the punches. If there's something wrong emotionally, nobody addresses it. Uh, they kind of sweep it under the rug. And at that particular moment in time, my parents were either working, they were workaholics. So either they were working or they were getting drunk. So they never really sat there and said, hey, are you okay? Are you mentally, emotionally okay? It, that, that just doesn't happen in the Latino community unless they're more evolved, you know? But um, it was just me going through it on my own. It was me going through all of these feelings, all of this culture shock on my own. Um, and when we got when we came to the United States, unfortunately, my aunt's ch uh, son started watching us, and then something else happened that you know the enemy used to continue to steal my innocence, um, just steal or destroy my self esteem, which I got you know molested unfortunately, and I was about six years old, and that happened for a couple of months. So it almost seemed like from the time I was little, it was just a difficult life. And I perceived all of this as normal. Like this is life. You don't talk about it. You don't, um, you really don't question it. You just survive it. And that's it. Yeah, man. I, I, I can't imagine Liz. There was so much going on in your world at six years old, right? You, you move from one country to the next. You're an outsider, you know, in, in this in this area, you don't speak the language you're being made fun of. Now you're being molested and you're also in a culture where we don't talk about how we feel. And so what did you do with all that, Liz? How did you process through that? I mean, that's hard for anyone to process through, let alone a six-year-old. Well, interestingly enough, I believe that children are really, really resilient. And um, they have that gift of joy. It's like the Lord protects them in that seat, yes. you know, during those years, those early years. So to be honest with you, I, I was always a very joyful girl. I was always laughing. I was always dancing. Um, I was very happy. So the joy of the Lord was my strength. I didn't know that then, but now I realized, okay, that was my strength. I, I had this joy that the Lord gave me. Um, and so... I was kind of like numb to it, but it wasn't until I was about 13, which is the teenage years that all of it went to the surface and it just, you know, it got really bad. 
Yeah. So before we we hop ahead to the teenage years, kind of rounding out the childhood years, did things ever get any like easier or better for you as you picked up the language, as you got acclimated to the culture? Did did friendships come or did you continue to feel like an outsider? Friendships definitely came. I was always kind of a social butterfly. So I definitely had um, friends, but I felt the absence of my family. I felt the absence of my parents. I never really had that that um, protection. I never had that connection. I remember when you know that happened and I got molested. I sat down with my aunts because I told my cousin, you know, if you don't stop this, I will tell somebody. And so he finally stopped, and I, you know, I brought it to my to my aunts and I told them what was happening, and they immediately silenced me and they told me to not say anything because they were afraid of my father's retaliation. So I stood quiet. Um, and that created such an anger um, in me and, and almost like a, a feeling of being powerless. So I would say from the time I was um, a little girl to the time I was a teenager, I just felt completely powerless. Uh, and, and I felt like there was an absence there. Like my parents weren't really there for me. My parents weren't, um, they weren't loving. They were always fighting. It was always kind of toxic. I, my mother was a little bit more loving. But my dad was kind of just physically there. And when he was loving, it was usually when he was kind of drunk, which was interesting. Thank God that at least he wasn't like, you know, bad with us. But other than that, I can honestly say that even when I had the friends, there was still this void. Like I wanted a mom to be there for me. I wanted a dad to to affirm me, but I never really had that. So that was kind of like my childhood years. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about this both on the podcast and with my clients about just that attachment uh, that we form and how it's so important to have that. Uh, studies show within the first three years of our life, you know, if we don't form that close attachment with our parents, that's going to have a lot of negative effects for us. And so here, here's little Liz just desperately wanting that love and affection from her her parents, and they're they're not giving it to you or they sounds like they probably don't even know how to give it to you. Yeah. And, and so here you are just kind of feeling this void, feeling this emptiness. I'm, I'm curious, Liz, did you have, or do you have any siblings? I do. I have a sister and a brother from my mom and my dad. And then my dad has like 10 other children with uh, two other women. I don't really know them, but my mom and my dad only have three with me. I'm okay. the baby. And how was your relationships with your siblings as you were growing up? With my brother, it was kind of non-existent because he's 10 years older than me. So there was no real connection there. And he was always working with my parents. Again, they're musicians. So he would play the accordion. My mom would play the uh, 12 string guitar. My dad, um, the bass. So they were just always like, they were working. He, he, was, he was with them most of the time. With my sister, we were really close um, until the teenage years came. But during childhood, we would we were pretty close. Okay, when it came to the the molestation, the just feeling like an outsider, were you able to confide in your sister at all, or or get any support from her, or was that still just yeah, we just don't talk about it? So unfortunately, um, it happened with my sister. Uh, it, it happened to both of us, and with her, she never really dealt with it. She kind of pretended like it never happened and um, swept it under the rug. So as an older 
uh, young lady. And I, and when I finally spoke out, she was like, it never happened. But then she finally said, okay, fine. It did happen. But her way of dealing with it was not dealing with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it happened with her, unfortunately to, to her too. Yeah. Gotcha. Liz, I don't know. I, I think it's the Holy spirit. I just feel led to just kind of ask, cause there may be younger girls listening to this. I mean, this, yeah. who knows who's going to listen to this, but for someone who is maybe being sexually abused, mm-hmm. uh, molested, and they don't know what to do, you know, they're they're maybe like you, where they just feel powerless. They're in a yeah. family or or uh, environment where they just don't open up about feelings. What advice do you have for them? Well, one, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Um, two, you know, the, the person may tell you, I'm going to kill you if you say something, or I'm going to hurt your family, or I'm going to do this, that, or the other. Those are lies. You can tell maybe a, a teacher, um, maybe a counselor, maybe someone that, that you, you can trust. If it's not your family, then maybe you can tell somebody, you know, if, if you're young, I'm pretty sure you're, you're going to school, you can tell a teacher, you can tell a principal and let them know that you are you know if you feel for your fear for your life let them know that you are in danger that you have been um uh that you have been threatened but tell someone there's always somebody to protect you you don't have to suffer in silence you they will not you know hurt you as long because the people i'm sure that they're gonna they, they have a way of of protecting you without putting you in harm's risk um, I know of a lot of people where the police came with, you know, within like minutes and took the person out. So your family's not going to get hurt. You're not going to get hurt. Just trust somebody that that has a way of doing it in in a you know in a safe way. And please don't suffer alone. Don't feel like it's your fault. This has to this has to stop with you. You have to be the one courageous. You have to be the one that's bold. You have to be the one that faces your fears so that this doesn't happen to somebody else. So remember that it's so much bigger than you. Unfortunately, the perpetrators, if they don't get caught, you know, with you, they're going to get caught with, you know, I mean, they, they won't get caught period or, or let me reword that. I'm sorry. Um, if, you can stop it, then it won't happen to anybody else. So just remember that it's much bigger and find the hero in you so that you can say something and stop this um, unfortunate attack. Yeah. Amen. I I love that. Find the hero in you. Liz, before, again, we we get into the teenage years, I want to back up still your faith during this time, you know, you, your family growing up, did you, were you raised in any type of church setting? What was that like for you? So, yeah, we, I was raised Catholic. I even went to a um, Catholic school from the time I was in third grade up until fifth grade. And uh, my parents went to church every now and then, but they weren't really living the Catholic life. It was more of a culture thing. Gotcha. Okay. And so as you were going through everything, do you remember crying out to God or, or, uh, leaning on your faith during that time, or was it just not developed yet where you thought to do that? Hmm. That's, that's an interesting question. Cause I recently remembered something that my mom actually reminded me and, and she says that, um, when I was in third grade, there was a girl that was going to, you know, fight me. 
and I had just got, I had just confessed. <laughs> they, they they make you go through confessions when you're in elementary when and you're going to a Catholic school. So yep. she says that when she saw me, I was getting beat up, and she said, "Why didn't you fight back?" And I told her I had just confessed. So the fear of the Lord was in me. That just reminds me of of times where I did pray, but I, I, I didn't pray in the way that I pray now, but I really was reaching out to God. I was like, God, you know, help me, you know, you know, just, I want to feel you, but I didn't necessarily have uh, um, the education, the proper education on how to go about it because we, we, my parents didn't read the Bible or anything. But now that I remember, I do, I do know that I had the fear of the Lord in me. And that's something that in ministry really does help because I've noticed a lot of people don't have a fear of the Lord, but God is watching always. So um, I, I did have the fear of the Lord. I did believe he was there, but I felt very disconnected with the statues that I saw at church. I felt very disconnected with the way um, Jesus was explained to me like a God somewhere out there, you know, in heaven but not here so it wasn't a personal relationship it was a god of a religion yeah. yeah yeah that's that's cool though that you can look back and see that even though that relationship wasn't there that the fear of the lord was there and then like you said earlier the joy of the lord was there mm-hmm. too you know just yeah. those seeds were planted and, and god was was cooking up something at that time and so moving along in your story liz you said kind of at 13 the results of of being molested and everything you've gone through really started to come to the surface. So what did that look like? Hmm. So at 13 years old, I just remember feeling so much rage. At that particular time, I went from the loving, kind, almost dumb Liz to, and I say dumb because innocence can seem dumb, you know, to people. Um, and now looking back, I wish I, I I would have kept the innocence with maybe some boundaries, but it's kind of something that you have to learn (laughs) as you go with wisdom. Right. Um, But I really did allow everybody to like step all over me. And at 13 years old, I was like, you know what? No more. And the way it happened was I was in seventh grade and there was a bully that was constantly making me cry. And she would just put me down. She was like tormenting me. It's almost like Satan's voice, like right here telling me, all of these mean things. And I would just put my head down and just cry. But I remember in seventh grade, I was like, you know what? I can't do this anymore. You want to fight me? Let's go. You know? And by the way, don't do this. Don't try this at home. Don't fight the police. <laughs> Tell the teacher. But I'm just telling you my story. Yeah. Um, and so we ended up, I ended up telling her, okay, you know what? I can't do this anymore. You want to fight me? Let's go. Let's fight. And so we ended up meeting, you know, I remember the, the bell rang and I was like, oh, I should have just stayed quiet. But now everybody knows there's going to be a fight. And all the friends were like, you know, I had my friends and then she had her friends. And so we went to meet. And it, interestingly enough, all the rage that I had from the time I was a child came out of me at that time. So I, um, I beat her up and she, I mean, I, everybody was like, whoa, little Fuerte can fight? Like, what? And I was like, what? <laughs> so that empowered me in the wrong way. And empowered me in the wrong way. Um, because after that, I remember I used to go look for fights. And, uh, and I got angrier and I got angrier because I, I, uh, I felt like anger equaled strength. 
Does that make sense? So yep. when I'm sad, I'm weak, but when I'm angry, I'm strong. So I started being angry. I started being strong and I just looked for fights everywhere. I became a runaway. So I, I, I drank alcohol for the very first time at 14 years old. So I just got progressively worse because I no longer wanted to be a victim. I no longer wanted to be someone that was powerless. I wanted to gain power, but I did it the wrong way. So then it, the more um, I fought, the more I drank, the more I ran away, the more I was like, I'm invincible, you know? And it just, it progressively just kept getting worse. Yeah. And and again, that makes sense. Even from a therapeutic standpoint, what we know about people that grow up in, in homes where emotions are avoided is that they often turn to anger when they start to feel exposed or weak or vulnerable. Because again, the message you, you were taught was you can't be weak. You can't show your emotions. Right. And so when we go to anger, it makes us feel powerful. We know it will repel people away from us that we don't have to feel vulnerable and weak. And so in my mind, that makes complete sense why you went to, to anger, because it sounds like that was the first time in your life where you felt like, okay, well now I'm controlled instead of being controlled. I'm in control. Yeah. And, and the fact that I saw my mother as the one that was weak, and my father, as the abuser that was strong, I wanted to be more like my dad because I, I didn't, I saw two extremes. I never saw healthy. I never saw boundaries with somebody that was assertive, not aggressive. I never saw any of that. I just saw the abuser and I saw the one getting abused. So I would much rather be the abuser. And, and unfortunately, because again, I didn't, I didn't see a happy middle, but had I seen a happy middle, I think I would have you know, chosen that one. But at that time it was like, no, I'm going to be the abuser so that I don't end up like my mom. Yeah. So that's interesting. Seeing your mom uh, be abused and it sounds like, I don't know, would it be fair to say mom was passive? Very passive. To this day, yeah. she's passive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think in, in, with the Latina community, it's kind of like women are supposed to be passive and the men are supposed to be macho. That's the role. That's what society accepts. Anything outside of that is just wrong. Yeah. So she's still very passive, unfortunately. Okay. And so as you saw mom be passive, you saw dad be, you know, the macho, the aggressor you wanted to take after dad. How did you view your mom then? What was that relationship like uh, throughout your teenage years? I was angry with her. I was angry with her because I didn't feel like she protected me. Um, I was angry with her because I didn't like the fact that she didn't stand up for herself. She didn't have a backbone. So I had to go, and we'll talk about that later, but through a whole healing of forgiving her, it was interesting that I had more issues against my mom, who was the abuse, the one that was abused. Yeah. But my, my, my thing with her was, mom, you, why didn't you rise up? Why didn't you stand up? Why didn't you protect us? Why didn't you stop this? Why didn't you leave that? Why, you know? Yep. So everything kind of, she became like a punching bag for me. She became my target of anger mm. because I felt like had she stood up, everything would have been different, Yeah. which now it's like, it doesn't really make sense, but you know, that's, that's how I processed it. Yeah. A teenager trying to justify and, and make sense of things for sure. Yeah. So you you started to turn to violence and, and alcohol. Did that lead to any 
legal trouble uh, throughout your teenage years at all, Liz? Not throughout my teenage years. I got a DUI later in life, and I was like, I think I was maybe 27 years old. Um, but no, I no no legal trouble. But it did. I had terrible grades, so in school I got in a lot of trouble. I got in fights. I got kicked out of school. Uh, ended up in a in a um, second. Well, no, not secondary. It's called a um, continuation school. So I just I was not successful in school. The fact that I got that I graduated is a miracle on the whole in itself. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was definitely a, a tough journey for you there and just trying to find acceptance and, and love and, and, and then learning how to process and manage everything. Once you graduated high school, did you have any idea of what you wanted to do after that? Uh, nope. I was still like, you know, I, I, I felt like I was always, I had that entrepreneur seed because of my parents. So I always wanted to, you know, have a business. And actually during high school, I went to beauty school. So I was doing high school in the daytime. I was doing high school in the evening. And my mom bought uh, her first beauty salon when I was about 18 years old. So I was running that. But to be honest with you, I hated it. I didn't like beauty school. I didn't like anything that, you know, anything that my parent that she liked because she kind of like forced me into it. But um I was kind of running that beauty school. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I was running the the beauty salon. And then later on, I became a beauty school teacher. <laughs> so I had this whole career that I hated. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So what... What did, what did you do with that then? At, at, at some point, did you just kind of take a look at your life and be like, well, this is exactly what I didn't want to get into and now I'm doing it. So I got to make a change or how did you eventually get out of uh, that career? I kind of just fell into it. Um, I figured, okay, well, this is, you know, this is where I'm making money um, from the time I, I was, uh, 16 to about 21 was when I had, when we had the beauty salons, but then I got pregnant with my daughter at 22. So that's when I became a teacher because the person that I was with was, you know, abusive as well. So I don't know, I don't know if you want to want me to go into that, but he was abusive as well and he was not providing. Um, so I had to figure out a way to, to make ends meet. And so becoming a teacher was the, the safe way to have, to make, to make a living for my daughter and I. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, as long as you're comfortable kind of going into, uh, the abuse that you endured, I'm, I'm, you know, we can go there and, and yeah, I mean, I I'm curious how growing up, seeing the abuse between your mom and dad being molested, just again, that very skewed view of what true love actually is really not knowing what true love is. How did that, um, impact your relationships and, and the guys that you chose to date or were attracted to well that i mean it just again it makes everything so normal so um i was having conversations with my husband i was telling him how like for the first time in my life i'm happy you know and it, it could only be in christ but when you are raised in a um in an environment that is toxic that is full of you know dv and and just just bad you believe that that's the only reality that there is you don't think that there's anything healthy so you are attracted 
to that type of environment. If you're not in it, you'll make it. So for me, if the guy was kind, I would be the abuser because I had to, like, for me, um, peace was not an option. I felt so uncomfortable with peace. I couldn't be in a harmonious relationship. I needed to rock the boat to feel comfortable. And I don't know to this day, I don't really know why, but it was just um, something that it was like an adrenaline rush for me. So in relationships from the time I was a teenager till the, about, uh, well, 27, but till the time I was a teenager, uh, from the time I was a teenager to the time that I met my, my ex-husband, which is my daughter's father, I was attracted to the wrong kind of man, somebody that kind of looked like my dad or kind of not looked physically, but was like my dad. And with my daughter's uh, father, he, he just, he was just like him. So I kind of married my dad <laughs> in a way, you know? Yep. And again, during those years, I, I remember that um, I would get with, with guys that were abusive or if they were really nice, I would be the abuser up until, you know, I met him. And when I met him, it was just like everything that I went through as a child, I relived it as an adult because I did not heal from it because I, I, I believe, you know, the word of God says that um, as you judge, so too will you be judged. I feel like sometimes we have to go through what people go through that we are judging to understand what it feels like. And so with my mom, I feel like because I had not forgiven her, because I had not really healed from that, I had to go through it to understand that mentality of a woman that is abused, what happens to you under that umbrella of confusion and just guilt and just madness, right? So I ended up um, marrying this man. When I got pregnant, it got worse. And I would honestly say that that for me was what took longer to heal now as a as a as a as a grown woman that for me was the hardest to heal because there was physical abuse there was a lot of verbal abuse there was um, even financial abuse i mean he he was just not providing on purpose you know and i remember for me healing those wounds of um the verbal abuse is what took the longest, not the physical so much, but it was the, it was a degrading, it was the uh, belittling, it was the speaking against my identity that really created havoc. And that led to me becoming even more of an alcoholic, even angrier. It's like the enemy was really after my identity. And that for me was one of the, um, the the hardest blows to my identity marrying him yeah yeah and yeah. how old were you when you got pregnant with your daughter liz 22 22 so fairly young what was that like when you found out that you were pregnant you know here you are in this uh were you guys married at that time when you found uh, out you we got pregnant? married right after right right after. after okay so here you are in this relationship though with a guy that uh, clearly is is not a good fit. There's there's a lot of abuse going on. What was that like finding out, man, I'm going to bring a, a baby into this world? So he kind of tricked me. <laughs> when we were dating, he was nice. He was, 
I should have seen the red flags because he would fight everybody, but he was nice to me, you know? Mm. So ladies, pay attention to red flags. Yes. Um, really observe how they are with their family, how they are with friends, because it says a lot about their character. So he was really nice to me. And I remember one day he said, you know, if you have my child, I will, I will treat you like a queen. And I was like, okay. And it, we weren't even trying to get pregnant, but we got pregnant really fast. And so as soon as I find out, I mean, the night that we went to go tell my parents that we were pregnant and that we, we did have plans of getting married, that night he switched. He just switched. It's like he knew I was stuck, you know, yeah. and he ended up leaving me at my mom's house and he ended up going and being with another woman that night that we went to go tell my parents and the abuse began, but it got worse at that particular time. When we told my parents, I wasn't living with him. After I told my parents within like a month or two, I moved in with him and the abuse really got worse. At, at four months, he, he said, you know what? I'm not in love with you. Um, I don't want this baby. Just please go and have an abortion because I'm going to cheat on you, you know? And so I was, I was contemplating aborting my child. So when I went to the, the clinic and I saw how they did, and I was like, no, I could never do this to my baby. Yeah. And so I, I, I decided, okay, if I have to be a single mom, I'll be a single mom, but I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to abort my child. I'm not going to kill my child in my womb. Yeah. So I ended up going back home. I told him, you know what, if you want me to abort, I'll abort. And then he said, no, 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 please don't. I just kind of wanted to like trick I'm not to test him to see what he was going to say. Sure. So he said, no, you know what? I, I, you don't have to get an abortion. I'm sorry. I'm such a jerk. I love you. Let's stay together. But again, the abuse continued to get worse. And at nine months, you know, you're about to give birth. You're not exactly the most attractive person when you're about to give birth because you're, you know, you got your baby. Yep. And so he used to tell me things like, hey, you know what? I'm not attracted to you. I find you disgusting. Um, I, if I'm going to, if, if, you know, now it's your choice, you can either stay here or go back with your mom because if you, because I'm going to cheat on you. So at least you know the truth. You know, at least it's not wrong because I'm letting you know I will cheat on you because I'm no longer attracted to you. And I'm about to give birth. So I'm like, okay, fine. Well, I'll stay with you. So I was, I was weaker than my mother, the one I judged. Mm -hmm. I was weaker than her because I was so afraid of being a single mom. I felt at that time that I was disgusting. He had nine months of just mentally breaking me down on purpose. Later on, I found out. Um, so at that particular time, I was like, you know what? I, I raised my white flag. I, I'm, I've, I have no more fight in me. I'll stay with you. If you cheat on me, I'll stay with you. If you're mean to me, this is life from here on out. This is my destiny. I saw this growing up. It was inevitably going to happen to me. So I almost made peace with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It, it sounds like you kind of made that switch uh, as far as roles from controller to, okay, now I'll just be the victim. Yeah. Yeah. Man. And so nine months pregnant, all this is going on. You, you do give birth to your daughter. What was that like for you, Liz, when, when you held your daughter for the first time, you looked into her eyes. What was that moment like for you? Oh gosh. What well, her and I had a, um, a bond from the time she was in my womb. Uh, I, I, don't, I know that everybody's in a different place um, 
you know, the, being a Christian is such a broad spectrum, <laughs> but uh, this is just my beliefs. Um, I, I do believe in the prophetic. I believe that the Lord, um, he gifts us with certain gifts. And, and I believe that my daughter was born with prophetic gifts. First, first in my dream, I had someone tell me that if I was ready to be a mom because I, I was about to give you know, birth to a child and I was not pregnant then, but then a, a baby came and I'm, I'm extremely prophetic as well. So whatever I have, she's got it like twice because when she was in my stomach, I remember I would see things, I would hear things They were more physical. Like now I kind of perceive things, I'll know things. But when I was, you know, when she was in my tummy, I remember I would physically see things. I had more of a, of a, of an understanding with the other realm. So with her, I always felt protected. Um, it was so interesting how when her dad would touch my stomach, she wouldn't even kick. Like she didn't like him. He, she didn't like what wow. he did to me. So from the time she was a baby, she wanted nothing to do with him. And and so I felt this like protection, like from her, this love. And it just, it, it brought meaning to my life. So it just changed everything. That is amazing. I, I'm a believer in the prophetic myself. And man, I almost got goosebumps as you were talking about that. <laughs> it's just amazing. I love how God works like that. And so clearly, yeah, like you said, there was this special bond there when she was born. And so bringing her home, you know, now you're you're a family, the three of you. What was that like? You had alluded to earlier that, okay, now I'm even weaker than my mom and you're kind of repeating what you grew up in. And now with, with a daughter, with a child in the home, kind of walk us through that. What was that like? Just kind of maybe thinking and, and knowing that my daughter's basically going to grow up in the same environment that I grew up in. Interestingly enough, when she was born, my goal was to keep her dad to be with her dad no matter what it didn't it didn't hit me until i was until she was maybe four or five years old that if i stayed with him she was going to go through it because it would be now her normal but for the first five years my only goal was to um, to have to keep her dad, no matter what, no matter what I went through, as long as she had her dad, as long as she had the traditional family, it would all be worth it. So for me, her birth meant you really have to do everything to keep this man, even if he's abusive, even if he cheats, because you know, again, culture culture plays a big role. And, and being Latina, it's like we put up with everything and that's just life. So it almost gave me more strength to stay. But when he would be abusive to her, that, that's when I would pack my bags and leave. So it, everything kind of started revolving more about, you know, more around her. If that makes yeah. Sense. yeah. 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 It sounds like, I mean, bottom line, you just wanted to give her the best life that that you could and that meant she needs her family together she needs both parents in her life um it sounds like until you recognize that this isn't the best thing for her that she is going to end up repeating what i went through and so what what happened there liz did was there like a defining moment where you decided i'm done i can't take this anymore or was it just a gradual progression 
what what kind of led to you eventually leaving that situation? So it was, um, I believe it was like four or five on and off years of, you know, I got to do this. I can't do this. I got to do this. Nobody's not a good dad. I got to do this. So finally, I remember there was a moment where he left me at a restaurant, you know, without a ride. He just took off. And I remember walking and it's almost like I had this epiphany. Now I believe it was the Holy Spirit. I know it was the Holy Spirit. Um, But at that time, it was like this revelation that I got where I saw my life. I saw her life. And it was this crossroads. It was, you're either going to stay with this man and she will go through the same thing that you're going through with her husband or you leave him. You you, you know, become a single mom, you take it like, like a champ, you know, because it was very scary for me to be a single mom. You walk away clean with the possibility of her beginning, you know, having a a, a clean slate. Like she won't know what abuse really is. And and I know by now, unfortunately, she kind of saw a lot of it, but I felt like it, it didn't do enough damage to where she would, um, uh what is what is it like when you um when you repeat it i felt like she wasn't going to repeat it so i felt like i was at a crossroads and if i had if i walked away right then and there she wouldn't repeat it so i made the decision right then and there and i said you know what i do love this man at that time i did love him or i thought i loved him i don't think i really genuinely loved him i thought i loved him and i said i'm even though i love him and I may go through a lot uh, being a single mom. It's worth it to leave him if she has a chance of knowing that this isn't okay and knowing what a healthy marriage is because someday I will marry a healthy man. So I made the decision to just leave and I never looked back. Yeah. That's that was 10 awesome. years ago. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I'm a man. I'm proud of you for making that decision because in making that, like you said, you shifted the trajectory of not only your life, but your daughter's life as well. And so when when you left Liz, where did you go? Um, I went back to my mother's house to live with her. I was still angry. I was still uh, an alcoholic. And because I'm prophetic, and, and this is like for the church, please, people, if, if you feel like, you know, you have a gift, don't go to the new age. Yes. Um, you know, don't re- religion, unfortunately, doesn't satisfy that, you know, for you because it doesn't use the gifts. But Jesus, you know, he's the one that gave you those those gifts. It's God that blessed you with those gifts, the gifts of, of, of prophecy. And so so find a church that uses those gifts. Find a church that will um, that will sharpen those gifts so that you can edify the church, so that you can use them. Because unfortunately, a lot of people, what I'm, I'm realizing is they're going to the new age, and that's exactly what I did. So I got darker and darker as I started, um, you know, going into the new age, and, and I wanted to be enlightened. And I, I went through this whole five years of, of, of pursuing that because I knew that there was something different about me. I just thought maybe I was psychic, you know? And so I started getting darker. 
I started becoming more of an alcoholic and I opened my, I opened myself up to, to a realm that I knew nothing about. So it, it just got worse. Yeah. And, and can you speak to us, Liz, about a little bit about the new age? You know, there may be some people listening that they've heard of it, but they don't really know or understand like what it's all about, what they believe. What was your experience with that? How would you kind of describe the new age? So the new age is as wide as Christ, like Christianity in the sense that some people believe one thing, some people believe another. It's kind of a broad uh, spectrum, if you will. But mainly the new age goes against the resurrection in the, in, in the way that it speaks about um, reincarnation. It, it has a lot of Buddhist beliefs. It has a lot of Hinduism beliefs. Um, it's, it says that we are gods. Um, and we are made in the image of God, but we are not gods, you know, or we are not the God. There's only one God, right? Uh, there's only one way. Jesus said it. He's the only one that said it. Oh, this is where Amen. it gets good. Yes. But, uh, you know, Buddha never said he was the son of God and he was never brought back to life. And and Allah never was brought, brought back to life. But Jesus, he's the only one that said, I am the only way, the only truth and the only only life. And that is the truth. And and I know that from experience, because when I was um, in the new age, I would, you know, do African healings with a shaman in Hollywood. And I would I would have a lady from like India come into my home and do meditation. So new age is like meditation, yoga, um, believing in reincarnation, anything that is contrary uh, to the Bible, so psychics, tarot cards, um, anything that is contrary to the Bible is pretty much like right now. That is like like the the what is it the 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 oh I can't think of it, but it's like the eye. What is it? The third eye. The third eye. The chakra. All of that. It, it encompasses so much that I, it would take me hours to really say everything that it covers. But anything that is contrary to God, to the Bible, you know, divination, psychics, all of it is demonic. It's just demonic. Yep. And it, it, it sounds good. It sounds, and this is the part where I, I, you know, I have a hard time because I always tell my husband, this is what makes me so sad that a lot of people are stuck in the middle because they know they have a gift, they know they're prophetic, but there's a religious spirit that says, uh, no, like speaking in tongues is not for today and healing is not for today and prophetic is not for today. Yeah. When in the word of God, it, it speaks of it being always because the same God that was, is, and will forever will be, right? He doesn't change. Amen. So those gifts are for us to bring in the harvest. He wants us to use those gifts to edify the church. So you have a religious spirit that's saying that God that puts God in a box. Yep. And then you have the new age that doesn't give the honor and the glory to God. It gives the honor and the glory to the universe, not the creator of the universe. So the main thing is when anything gives the honor and the glory to anything outside of God, it's not of, it's, it's, it's demonic. It's That's just right. flat out demonic. So it's so important that we understand that, you know, if you're in the middle, for those of you that are, are wanting to know Christ, if you're in the middle and you feel like, you know, you're stuck between religion and new age, there are churches still 
we call them the remnant church that believe in everything that the word of God says, that do not put God in a box and that will allow you to use those gifts. Because I know with new age, it could sound so good because it's this enlightenment and this one love. And I, and, and I almost feel like sometimes there's more love in the new age than there is in the church. And I'm like, no, we got to do better. We got to do better. We got to love, but Love according to how God says we have to love, not immorally, not against his word. We got to love with righteousness and purity, but that's just a whole other, um, because <laughs> I will go off in the tangent here. Because hey, I'm, I'm here for it. About this. <laughs> I'm here for it. You're preaching fire. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? When I was really deep in, into it, because I got certified, I, I was a certified hypnotherapist. I was a psychic. I mean, I was like, let's go, you know? Wow. Jesus gave me a dream. He he first he spoke to me and he said, Step into the light. And I remember um I was thinking, okay, isn't that from like from Beauty and the Beast, Step into the Light? You know, when she tells the beast, step into the light. Yeah. So I was like, maybe I'm maybe I'm just hearing things, but I heard those vo- I heard those words in the middle of the night. And then two days later I had a dream and Jesus was right there with somebody that had been praying for me at that time. And he pretty much let me know that he wanted me to serve him. He wanted me to serve him. And I remember when I woke up, I got on my knees and I said, you are the son of God. You are the son of God. I repent. I give my life to you completely. I I could send it. It's so difficult for me to, um, to describe it, but I knew in my spirit that the creator of the universe sent his son to, to, to get me because I was in that much darkness because I was, I was being deceived. And so that's when I really started surrendering my life to the Lord. So that's, that's how I got out of the new age. I had an encounter with Jesus. My goodness. That is so amazing that you had that dream. I, I hear a lot about how, um, and we actually had a missionary come to our church recently and talk about how there's so many people in the Middle East getting saved because they're having these dreams of of Jesus coming to them. And um, I mean, it just goes to show that it, you can't hide from Jesus. Like even when you're sleeping, he's there and he, and he's going to get to you. And so an incredible testimony in and of itself there, Liz, where he came in, kind of rescued you in your sleep, in your dream. You, you got up uh, the next morning, went to your knees and said, Jesus, I'll serve you. You are my Lord and Savior. What was that? I'm curious, what was that process like of kind of detaching from the New Age movement? Did you uh, recognize any strongholds or resistance that maybe made it difficult to leave that? Um, what was that like for you? Absolutely. So I think the hardest stronghold for me was still alcohol. That was a chain that he only he could break. So with with the new age, and I and I remember when I woke up that morning. I remember during this time, I'm still an alcoholic. I'm still a hot mess. So I get up and I'm like, you know, making breakfast with my mom, and I'm like, Mom, Jesus came to me in a dream. He spoke to me, and my mom's like, Oh, okay, you officially lost your mind now. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, No, really, really, God came to me in a dream, and I think He wants me to serve Him. And you know what? I'm going to serve him. I, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. You know, Buddha is not just another master teacher. And Jesus is not just a master teacher. Jesus is the son of God. Like he is God. He's, he's, he's it. And so she was like, mm, 
okay, well, that's, I'm happy for you. And, but I could tell that she was like, okay, my daughter just completely lost it. But that encounter for me changed everything because again, it's really hard to explain what I felt, but I knew that that was a holy dream. I knew that that dream would, had just changed my life forever. I knew that I was all in. It was not going to be a one foot in, one foot out. And I knew that there was going to be a process of renouncing, uh, of letting go so I immediately started like throwing everything away and renouncing and saying, God, I repent. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. Um, and I had to like throw things, you know, everything that I was using and I stopped going to like the meetings. I just completely was like, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. But alcohol, uh, and I want to share this really quickly because I believe that there are some people that are maybe watching that have an area where it's not really a choice, it's a chain. And for me, alcohol was a chain. It was an addiction. And so I remember I had so many people praying for me in that season. And finally, I have a dream and I see this demon and the demon is like crying blood and it's screaming. And I wake up and somehow I know that the Lord just broke those chains. Like he 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 killed that demon of alcoholism and so the stronghold broke the stronghold broke after 18 years of being an alcoholic i saw the alcoholism demon in my dream and i saw how it was angry that it had to let go because his presence was starting to be stronger in me you know i was starting to build a greater relationship with him so um after that after i you know was delivered I I needed to create a new pattern of behavior. I needed to stay away from old places. I needed to have new friends. I needed to have new habits to back up that deliverance because sometimes you can be delivered and the chain is gone, but now you have the choice, you know? So when it became a choice, I had to be really intentional. And finally, after about a year of struggle, I, you know, I quit. I guess it wouldn't be cold turkey because it was kind of like, you know, progressively. But I remember the last time I took a drop of of alcohol, I felt like the Lord was saying, it's going to be the alcohol or the promise. I'm not going to give you both. And that was like six years ago. So I I have been sober now for six years. Praise God. Praise God indeed. Congratulations. That's that's Thank amazing. You. How do you how do you continue to resist that urge? I, again, there's probably people here that uh are, you know, listening to this, watching this, that are either struggling with alcoholism or they've been clean and sober for a little while, but they're still facing that temptation, that urge. Do you have any advice for them, Liz? Absolutely. So at again, at first, I think it took maybe about two years for that to to what well, took one year for the stronghold to be gone for the for the lord to break that chain and then another year for me to create new patterns new habits to resist the devil because the enemy is going to try to come at you wherever he finds weakness that's the area where he's going to try to come at you again and again he's going to use the same he's going to use the same ammo until you're over that, you know, until you're completely delivered from that. And then he'll use a different tactic. But for me, it was like a year of, okay, when I would, when I was happy, I was like, maybe I can get a drink. No, 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 no. It's a choice. Uh, Maybe I can, you know, when I was sad, maybe a drink would be better, but no, 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 it's a choice. So one, if you want, if you are serious about your salvation, if you're serious about walking into what God has for you, you have to remember that it's going to be either the promise that God has on your life 
or the addiction. God's not going to give you both. So you have to understand that this is like a life and death. It's got to be that serious for you. This is life and this is death. Because the, the word of God says that the wage of sin is death. So like, for example, for men, if you're dealing with lust, you can't okay it. You have to see it as, okay, this is a life or death situation. I'm either going to step into the promise or I'm not, because God's not going to give me both things. Um, and, and you got to make it so serious and build new patterns. If you're on social media and you feel like that's where you get the urge, close social media for a season. If you have friends that remind you of those times, don't hang out with those friends. If there's places that remind you of, of, of you know, seasons where you were struggling, don't go to those places. Get new friends, get new places, get new patterns, get new, um, you know, places to hang out, to fellowship with people. But you need to kind of um, not rebuild your life, but kind of have new, uh, a new beginning. You can't, you can't kill old habits by doing the same things. You have to be able to do new things, new experiences and create a new life in Christ. Yes, we are new from the inside, from the moment we say, Lord, I give you my life. But now we have to allow the Lord to work from the inside out. And we have to be participants of that. We have to be co-participants because the word says that we are co-participants of his divine nature. So he's given us the authority. He's given us the power. Now we have to walk in it by taking responsibility and taking action because faith without works is dead. So now you have to do your part so that um, the covenant, because a covenant has to be between two people, right? A promise is between two people so that that can be accomplished. It's his part that he already did on that cross. And now your part that you're going to do by taking up your cross and following him. So build new patterns. Come on, Liz, just preaching it. I love it. This is such good advice. And, and you, you've walked it out. So you know that this, this works. You know that it's, like you said, it's, it's got to be a life change. You can't have your cake and eat it too when it comes to your addiction, when it comes to your vice. You got you to gotta make that choice. I think of even you know, Jesus uh, saying that um, I, I'd rather wish you were uh, cold than lukewarm, you know, you know, and I forget the rest of the verse, but just we can't yeah. be lukewarm. We can't be sitting on the on the fence here. We're either all in or we're not. And when you had that dream, you made that choice, Liz, Jesus, I'm all in for you. And so you you renounced the new age. You left the new age. You got deliverance. What what did life look like after that? What was kind of the next uh, stage of your journey here? Honestly, the first, I would say maybe three years, it was, I mean, let, let me start with this. If people tell you that following Christ is easy and it fixes your life and it makes everything like, you know, honkadori, they're lying to you. Okay? Yep. The truth is, that life is going to happen, you know, to everyone, right? The rain falls on the just and on the unjust. So we're all going to deal with life, especially in these crazy times with like everything that's going on, right? If it ain't COVID, it's monkeypox. If it's not monkeypox, it's like, like we're in crazy times. So life is going to happen. But what I can tell you is, is that with Christ, oh, it's just so much better because you're no longer alone because the joy of the Lord is your strength because he does give you 
peace that surpasses all natural understanding because you can't cast your anxieties to him. So now you're dealing with life, with the creator of the universe who, who, who made life. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it just makes everything so much better um, knowing that when you go through hardships, it's actually going to build your character. When you go through sufferings, it's, you know, God's going to turn it around for your good. So I would say my my first couple of years of realizing that was more difficult because I was like, oh, I thought my life was going to be easy, but everything's like falling apart still. And then I finally started understanding, okay, wait a minute. I'm really not here for me. I'm really, I'm really here for him. I'm here to do whatever he wants me to do. So why am I having a pity party about poor me, you know? I have to focus on the mission because the word of God says, if we seek his kingdom first, he'll give us the desires of our hearts. So I'm like, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to seek your kingdom. And I just started going full throttle for the Lord. And um, within like a year and a half, I became a pastor. Um, within two years, I became a best-selling author. And then I, you know, soon after that, I went, um, I quit my job as a, in the county as a deputy commissioner. I went and I lived with women that were in rehab and I helped them. And that's where the Lord gave me the vision for Project I Am. So now I'm helping people write books and now we're connected to CBN. And this is just the beginning. Yes. So it just shows me that one, God is good. You know, we have a bad devil that is against us, but we have a really, really good God that is backing us, that is for us, that sees our tears and he saves them. He turns everything around for good, that he's real. So for for somebody that's like, oh, you know, God isn't real. It's like, I'm telling you, God is the, the realest reality that there'll ever be. <laughs> Amen. And that he's faithful and that he's faithful. So every suffering now has a purpose. Every hardship is gonna it's gonna help me build greater character so um knowing that now it changes my perception and and it makes me excited every time i go through warfare because i'm like something really good is gonna happen and it just changes everything yeah yeah and and like you said the things that god has done in your life since then um and one of them, as I mentioned in the intro, becoming a best-selling author. So let's dig into that, Liz, because that's that's an amazing accomplishment. Tell us about that. How did that come to be? Well, one day, <laughs> I remember the Lord said, I want you to write a book. And I said, God, I think this message is for my neighbor because... Um, you know, again, ESL, the enemy will always make you think that you cannot do it. He'll remind you of the why nots, right? The God yep. really say that you can't do that. You're, you're unqualified. And the truth is I am unqualified. That's just the truth. But God loves to show off to us. So he chooses, he chooses the unqualified and then he qualifies them, right? Yeah. So yep. he, he said, I want you to write this book. And um, he gave me the title, Women in the Well, or, or yeah, Women in the Well. And I looked it up on Google because I'm like, wait a minute, that title's probably taken. And nope, it wasn't taken. So I said, okay, Lord, well, this is you. <laughs> yeah. Confirmation, this is you. And I remember I cried. I cried like a baby. Um, and I think God does have a sense of humor because I remember my friend had just asked me like a couple weeks before, hey, what if God told you to write, write a book? I would be like, uh, no, I don't think God would do that to me. <laughs> he, he wouldn't put me under that much pressure. <laughs> And so um, when he told me that, I remember I started crying. I was like, God, please, 
don't make me write a book. That's a book. You know, I said it like such a high mountain. I don't know anybody that has written a book. And that, at that time I did it. Now I, I know a lot of people, but back then I didn't. And so um, I remember he said, do you remember that, that time when you gave your life to me and you said, I could use you. You said to use you in every way. So now I'm, I want to use you and you're going to say no. And so I remember I said, okay, Lord, no, I'm going to keep my promise. You can use me. You can use me. But this is what I ask, that you would go with me, that you would do this with me, that it would be your words and not mine, and that you would just kind of make it somewhat easy for me to do it, and I'll I'll do it, you know? And within three weeks, the book was written. Within three weeks, the book was written. It's like every day there was an easy flow. I remember sleeping and seeing all these letters, and I would wake up. You know, I was actually working at the time. So when I would get off work, I would take a little nap to rest my mind, begin to write. And all of this would just, it would come as downloads. And so within three weeks, the book was done. Within two months, the book became a bestseller before it was out on three categories. And then the fourth category, when it was finally launched globally. And I thought he was going to have me write more books, but he didn't. He actually called me to help people write books. (laughs) Yeah, so then that brings us to Project I Am, and I I love this. I've been seeing uh, your Instagram post, Facebook post about this. I think this is just absolutely incredible. Tell us, what is Project I Am? Uh, project I Am is my passion project. I love Project I Am. So when the Lord um, tells me to quit my job, I was working for county of los angeles he wakes me up one day and he says you're done here i'm taking you out so i go into a three-day fast and he gives me a dream makes it very clear that i'm done there so i quit my job like within um within a week and as i'm parking to quit my job at the county like like i mean i didn't even give him the two weeks I, i i was like should i do it honorably and give him the two weeks i felt like the lord was like no you're quitting and you don't have to worry about burn bridges because I'm because you're not gonna come back. It's almost like the Lord wanted me like to really sever that. <laughs> yeah, that grace was lifted off, man. Time to go. Like like now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I remember I went and when I parked my car, he said, I want you to call uh, a, a certain somebody. And so I called her. And I said, hey, um, sister, you know, the Lord is having me quit my job and I'm about to quit my job. But he said to call you and I don't really know why he's having me call you. And she starts crying and she's like, oh, my gosh, I think I know why. I think you're supposed to live at the woman's home and be their mentor. And I said, I don't I don't don't think so. I don't think that's why. (laughs) I think maybe I'm supposed to like volunteer or something, you know, but I don't I don't think I'm going to get my girl and move, you know? Right. And so um, I told her, you know what? Let me just get this done. Let me quit my job. And then I'll go visit you tonight and we'll pray. And she said, okay. So I go, I quit my job. Everybody's thinking I'm crazy because they're like, how are you, how are you going to quit a job with like benefits? I mean, once you're, once you make it into the County, it's like you're set for life because they have great benefits. Right. Pretty cushy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because they call them lifers. You become a lifer once you're in, you know, you're, yep. you're there until you retire. So everybody, when, when, when I told them, Oh, I'm going to quit my job today. They were like, uh, Oh, like, okay, this one lost it already. You know, she's, she lost it. And so, um, I remember quitting my job 
and people telling me like, are you sure? And I said, God said, he just said, and I remember sending people an email and I said, I thank you so much. You know, I, I said other things, but I remember the, 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 the meat of the message was like, my God will provide my needs and he will, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. always like, I'm pretty sure the, the CEOs were like, what, <laughs> what kind <laughs> of email is this? So then I end up quitting my job. I go to so, uh, my friend, my friend's house. I won't say her name to protect her, her, her privacy, but I go to her house. I see, um, I see the house and I remember the, what the Lord had spoken to me a couple of weeks prior where he said, I'm going to take you to a land of milk and honey. So you're not going to need to pay rent. You're not going to need really to, you know, have money for anything. Everything will be provided for you. And so when I go to the bathroom, I see the soap and it's milk and honey. And I'm like, oh, ha ha. Good one, Lord. That okay. is awesome. Noted. <laughs> and for those of you that are prophetic, you know, you see the the prophetic in everything, license plate, because you're always, you know, in tune, right? Yep. And and God speaks to us like that. He uses his rhema word to speak to us in everything. He's everywhere. So we begin to pray. The the lady that ran that ministry um begins to pray. And it was just such confirmation. Everything that she was praying was what the Lord was really speaking to my heart. So I made a decision. I think I made it right then and there, but I didn't know that I made it right then and there until two weeks after when I was packing my stuff. And I finally said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go ahead. As petrified as I was, I went ahead and I moved my daughter. Now imagine this, okay, because this probably sounds a lot easier than it actually was. I'm moving my 12-year-old into a uh, a house with women that are detoxing from drugs, from alcohol. And she's so used to, you know, our life, our way of life. So I'm taking her out of her school. My mother's telling me, you're going to ruin your daughter's life if you do this. But I feel like God is saying, go. So I get my stuff. I get my daughter. I move into this home. And um, that's where the, the, the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you a vision. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to call you in this season to help people write books about their testimonies. And I'm like, okay, well, that, how is this going to work? But he just worked it all out. When, when the girls would go into prayer, like into like when they would go to um, meetings or, or prayer nights, I would get all my stuff and my little camera and, and Project I Am began because it's an online course as well as, as the coaching. But the vision came as I went. He told me he was going to um, give me Project I Am to help people write books, but he didn't tell me much after that. I had to, I had to take a step of faith. And as I took a step of faith, he gave me the vision. It's like one step at a time, if that makes sense. Yep. So... So it took me about a year to build Project I Am. And now it's been about two years and a half, and we're almost at 30 books that have been written, testimonies um, that have been written. Some of them have been in the top 100s, you know, of, of Amazon. And now, like I told you earlier, we're, we're partnering with CBN to get these testimonies out. And it was all because I obeyed god to go into the woman's home pretty much lose everything again and i trusted him and he has just shown himself so faithful but project i am 
the, 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 in a nutshell, what it does is it teaches people how to write books about their testimonies in 60 days. And we've seen people even do it in eight days. So it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a pretty cool program because it's his, I'm just stewarding it. Right. How incredible though, 30 books within two years that God has used you as a vessel to help these stories, these testimonies get out. I, 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 I mean, again, just doing this podcast and and helping get other people's stories out, I can kind of relate to like how rewarding that is. But man, what, what's that like, Liz, as, as you look back and just like you said, that obedience, you didn't know how this was going to happen. You didn't necessarily have the qualifications to do this, but yet God did it anyways. Oh, gosh, it's just it's humbling. It's really humbling that, you know. God can truly use anyone. And I mean, anyone, I mean, I, I say this all the time and it's kind of, it's, it's maybe I shouldn't say it because people may not trust me. But the thing is, I don't, I don't necessarily even like reading books, but God is having me help people write them. And this is why I say that because I know that there are some people that God is going to call you to do something that make absolutely no sense. You don't have the qualifications. You don't, have the schooling, you don't need the education, you don't have anything that really shows on paper that you can do it. But I believe that's why God is having you do it so that people will know that they know that it could only be him through you. So Amen. when he calls you to do something, when he tells you to do, to, to, to go forth and, and be strong and be courageous, my God, please be strong and be courageous because he is faithful, because he will be with you through it all, because he is right there leading you, guiding you. The word of God says that the Holy Spirit is our comfort and he is our counsel. So he'll be there comforting you and counseling you, not saying that it's not going to be difficult because I would be lying to you if I said it was going to be easy, but it is so worth it to follow him because again, the vision of God is always much bigger than just you. You know, the, the vision of God for my life was much bigger than just the book about my testimony. It was to help people to get these books out about their testimonies. So if God is calling you to do something, it's much bigger than you. He's calling you to be the pioneer, but the vision is greater and he can do it through you because it's not by power and it's not by might. It's by his spirit that things get done and he's faithful to 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 do what only he can do which is exceedingly abundantly more than what you can ask or even think but he's going to do it through you he's yeah. going to he needs you as a vessel to 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 get it done here on earth so say yes yes and you're you're living proof of what happens when you do say yes liz and it, it's just i i love I love this. I just love talking to you, hearing your story. If people are listening to this, Liz, and they're feeling that nudge from the Holy Spirit, you need to write your testimony. You need to write a book about what I've done in your life. How can people get a hold of, of, of Project I Am? How can they join that and receive this coaching, receive this help that you um, are amazingly gifted at? Oh, thank you very much. Um, they can actually email us at info uh, at LizForthaMinistries.com or uh, Ministries at gmail.com. Or you can honestly just even Google Liz Fuerte. It's L-I-Z um, Fuerte. My maiden name is Evazen Frank, U-E-R-T-E. We're pretty much all over Google. So you can find us anywhere. Um, 
you know, you can go on our website. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, um, as Liz Fuerte Ministries. You, you, we won't be too difficult to find. Yeah, and I'll attach the links in the show notes for everyone, so make cool. sure to check that out. Liz, um, as far as kind of going back, as far as love, the 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 first marriage was not the end of of that of 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 your story there god has provided a new and an amazing man an amazing husband for you now tell us that walk us through that journey how did you and your husband um come together oh i love him <laughs> um well i it was a i decided to stay alone for a long time. I was like eight to 10. It was, I think it was like nine years of waiting um, because I knew that I needed to get healing. I knew that I needed to revisit everything, like from the time I was a child and forgive and renounce and bring to the Lord and cry it out and find out what, why I did certain things. Most importantly, find out who I really am in him, who he says that I am and take him at his word so that my identity could be built again. Because we remember that the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. And he ultimately really wants to, to steal your identity. If he can steal your identity, he can, he can steal the promise. Right. So I had to go through a journey of, of really knowing who I was, who he said I was. And then I decided to be alone. Um, for a long time until I felt like the Lord was saying, okay, I'm going to prepare you to be a wife. And I was like, okay, praise the Lord. It was, it was, it was in me. I wanted it, but I was afraid of it. And so what I did, which I, I highly recommend for women to do is I, you know, got the Proverbs 31 uh, women list. And I started checking off things on the list that I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm better there. You know, I'm, I'm I can do that. Okay. I got to do, I think the one that I haven't nailed yet, and I don't know if I'm going to nail it is the waking up early. That's still kind of, you know, God's still working on me. (laughs) (laughs) But other than that, I think I'm okay. (laughs) And so I started checking off, you know, the list and preparing myself because a lot of people are like, I want a man that's wealthy. I want a man that's, you know, tall. I want a man that's handsome. And God is like, um, how about you prepare? (laughs) How about you get your house in order? And at the right time, I will make it happen. But you worry about you. So I felt like the Lord was saying, um, Liz, I really need you to get this right so that I can bring a man. So when I bring a man, you won't scare him off. Right. So I was really focused on preparing myself to become a wife. And when I prepared myself to become a wife, I'm not going to lie, ladies and gentlemen, please don't go for the counterfeit because a lot of times the enemy will bring a counterfeit. I fell into that. You know, my, my, my pastors wanted me to, to date a certain someone. And I realized that is not the one. So I got out of that. And then my husband came. So first it was a season of preparation, me preparing to become that Proverbs 31 woman. Then it was, uh, expecting it, believing, asking the Lord. And even in the areas where I didn't believe anymore, because sometimes the the waiting will kind of make you doubt. And so I remember I would bring it to the Lord and tell him, Lord, it's been nine years and I still don't see the promise. I need you to give me, like, give me a greater measure of faith or to help my unbelief. Let me borrow more faith, God, help me in this. And so being honest with the Lord, you know, 
And then positioning yourself to receive, positioning yourself to receive that one, being careful with uh, not going for the counterfeit. Because when that, you know, when I did all those things, the one came and I'll tell you really quickly how we met. We were going to the same church. He was always sitting in front of me or behind me. As a matter of fact, uh, like maybe four or five months before we ever spoke for the first time, the Lord told me, you need to go give that man a prophetic word. And I was like, no, I can't. I don't, I don't, you know, no, I was being, I was being courted by that, the counterfeit man. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't want to speak to another man and make it look bad, you know? Sure. And obviously I'm a pastor, so I have to carry myself with more responsibility. I can't be talking to somebody, you know, in their ear, telling them a word because it was loud. So I just said, Lord, I don't want to do that. But he said, go and give that man a word. So I gave him a word. Um, That was it. Didn't talk to him again for months. And then some other person that was extremely prophetic said, you know what, Pastor Liz, I don't believe um, that the guy that you are being courted by is your husband. I actually think that man is your husband. He pointed to my husband. And so I was like, I don't, I don't think so. But (laughs) months later in August of last year, we ended up being um, locked out of the church. We both got there a little earlier than, than, than most people. They locked us out. And we ended up having our very first conversation. Um, I invited him to uh, my doctorate ceremony. We were just really good friends. And then the Lord showed me, that's your husband. And then he showed him, that's your wife. And we both chose. Because remember, the Lord will present, but you still have choice. You can yeah. still choose yes, or you can still choose no. And you see that in, in, in Rebecca and in Isaac. So go go and find that that story, Rebecca and Isaac. But both him and I chose each other. Um, we knew that the Lord had brought us together for marriage, and we chose each other. So three months and 17 days from the time we spoke uh, for the first time, we were married. And honestly, it's, I mean, January 4th will be a year. He is the absolute best um, man that God could have given me. He is so loving, understanding. He values me. He supports me. But I don't believe I would have had that had I not allowed the Lord to really purge and prune and heal me. And God was working on him at the same time so that at the right time, God could, you know, God could bring and put it together. But now we have a a brand new TikTok channel. It's called In the Waiting, where we help people to prepare for the right one, to prepare physically, emotionally, spiritually, because preparation is key. A lot of people get into relationships because they're lonely or because it's the right thing to do, you know, for the holidays. But don't compromise, you know, make sure that the person that you're with brings you closer to God. Make sure that the person that you're with is mature enough to handle, you know, the the highs and the lows of life, that they really are after the Lord, you know, after his heart. And and preparation is just key. So, yeah, we just we we got our new ministry in the waiting where he um, he supports. Well, he's part of it. And we, we like to, you know, encourage people as they wait. So maybe you guys can check that out. It's on TikTok. Yep. And I'll make sure to link that as well. Go and check that out. How has uh, the relationship between your husband and your daughter been? Oh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, I asked the Lord, oh yes, make a list of what you want (laughs) because God is in the details. I didn't know that. I didn't know that, but God is in the details. Um, And I remember I did say certain things. I wanted a man after God's own heart. 
I wanted a man that loved me the way Christ loves the church. And I wanted a man that loved my daughter as his own. Uh, and all those three things I got. Now, on my own, I was like, you know what, Lord? I really want a man that has a, a personality like my daughter because she's easy. She's like, she's just an exceptional human being. That She just is. I, I, I had it easy as a mom. And he's just like her. Like, there, it, it, she looks and acts like if she was his biological daughter more than that's mine. awesome and sometimes <laughs> they tag team me so i don't oh, really like it yeah. i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> but they're so similar same personality type they're so kind they're so gentle they're so understanding patient so um they get along great that's amazing praise yeah. god praise god liz i've i've just loved this this has been just so awesome getting to connect with you and, and hear your story. Thank you for being so gracious with your time. Last question that I have for you, as, as you reflect back on everything that we've talked about and, and you think about the goodness of God in your life, uh, what comes to mind? My God, what comes to mind? I'm just, I'm, I'm in awe of his, his faithfulness. God, God, it's impossible for God to fail. It's impossible for God to fail. And I I hope that people can get a revelation of the fact that, you know, the, the word of God is not just a Hallmark card. It's not just a, a card or, or words of encouragement. You know, they do encourage, but above all, they transform because the word of God is alive. It is Jesus, you know, it, it's Jesus himself. So, um. For those of you that don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you know, he's so much greater than than religion. He's so much greater than the box that sometimes we put him in. Even myself, I'm sure, in areas. He's just love and he 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 loves us. He's for us. He's faithful. He's good. He's kind. Even when it doesn't feel good, he's good. You know, he's so outside of our feelings outside of our emotions outside of our problem and even though he is compassionate about them it doesn't change who he is so i think i'm in awe and i'm passionate about people also being in awe of the fact that the one being that will never fail you that will never disappoint you that will never break your heart is god is jesus three in one you know so so I'm just I'm just falling more and more in love because he's so much bigger than what I I thought he was and the more I know him the more I'm like okay I really didn't know anything his mercy his grace it really is like that song reckless right yeah. and not reckless in a bad way right. but it's in a way that doesn't make sense to human love because human love is so conditional yeah. human love is so it, it's so limited but God's love is so unlimited and he's for you and and he, I even feel like right now if it's okay, um, I want to yeah. encourage. I want to encourage you guys because I do feel like a lot of you guys are 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 being being tormented with. You're not doing enough. You're not good enough. And I just want to encourage you. You are enough. You are enough because God says you're enough, and you are loved. And He's not going to love you any more in the future than He is right now because God is love, and He's for you, and He's calling you, and He, he has a purpose and a plan for you. That's not just a saying. That's not just words. That's the truth. He has amazing plans for you. He's not a mediocre God. He 
he's a God that has amazing plans. And if you just take him at, at his word, and as long as you take the little steps, and not despite small beginnings, what he will do with your life will shock you and will really um, help you help you just marvel at the amazing God that he is. Yeah. Liz, you carry yourself, just kind of meeting you here, you carry yourself with such a, a strength and, and a confidence and, and a passion for the Lord. And again, we're just doing this over a screen and, and I'm feeling it right now. And oh, I just thank, thank you. you so much for being willing to come on the show and, and share what Jesus has done in your life. And I'm with you. You said earlier that he's just getting started. He is like, I mean, everything that you've been through and how good he is. He's been through the whole thing and how good he is to you right now. And he he's not planning on stopping. He's just planning on continuing yeah. to blessings upon blessings upon blessings. I really believe that for you and your family. Um, been an absolute honor and pleasure, Liz. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, my brother. Thank you so much for everything that you do. I encourage you to continue. Keep going. You're doing amazing. And you're such a great um interviewer i as, as a person that has a show not everybody's a natural and you my friend are an absolute natural so great job <laughs> well thank you i appreciate that liz thanks again of course god bless you all so to me liz's testimony is a reminder that true love is found in jesus christ you heard how the broken version of love she witnessed and experienced as a child just led her to seek out more of the same as she got older, and that it took having that encounter with Jesus to help her see what real love is and that she's worthy of it. Now Liz operates in the overflow of Jesus' love for her, and it's led her to carry out her calling in helping the world hear about the love of Jesus through helping people write books about their testimonies. And if you're feeling led to write a book about your testimony, go to LizFuerteMinistries.com to get in touch with her. Believe me, there is no one more equipped to help you out than Liz. You can check out her show From Broken to Breakthrough on the Holy Spirit Broadcasting Network and make sure to follow her on social media as well at Liz Fuerte Ministries. Plus, check out the content her and her husband Horacio are putting out on TikTok at In the Waiting. And I'll attach all those links in the show notes for you guys. If you have any questions for Liz, shoot me a DM on the Testimonies with Terry Facebook page or my Instagram page at TWTerryPod. And you can also use the hashtag AskTWT. If you were blessed by Liz's testimony, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to help get the word out about the podcast and make it easier for others to find. That's it for now, but I'll be back again next week with another testimony of God's goodness. In the meantime, live your life in such a way that glorifies God and kicks Satan's butt. Peace. <laughs>